0: Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of IWSCC's Empowering Equality Podcast. My name is Deidre Guy, and I am the president and founder of the Inclusive Workplace and Supply Council of Canada, or IWSCC, uh, if you're short on time. And um, we just want to let you know that our, our podcasts are produced by Pod Supply. And if you're watching this on YouTube, the ASL uh, interpretation is sponsored by RBC Royal Bank and supplied by Maple Communications Canada. I'm super excited to have our guest on today. He has a long history of working and volunteering in the disability community and has been involved with the Ontario Association for Developmental Education for 18 years, serving as a member at large, president and past president. Uh, Hubert served as the president of the Council for Exceptional Children for London Middlesex. He's on the L'Arche London Board of Directors, and before retirement, was a special education specialist teacher in a mostly self-contained classroom for 17 years. He taught students with a wide range of intellectual and multiple disabilities, and also engaged in a year-long teacher work exchange to Australia uh, for the year of 2010. So today, he joins us as a member of the Board of Directors for a Canadian nonprofit called Every Canadian Counts. Please welcome Hubert Van Meeker.
1: Well, that was a lot. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. Welcome. Thank you, David, for, uh, I don't know, for that uh, public service announcement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're quite um, welcome.
1: You know, um, we're,
0: we're interested in uh, the last thing that we spoke about, uh, where you're um, a member of the Board of Directors for Every Canadian Counts. What is Every Canadian Counts, and, and what is the uh, the organization's goal or mission?
1: The basic mission in in uh, in a long sentence is that what we are trying to do is, is uh, uh, put into place a publicly funded national disability insurance program for all people with long-term and chronic disabilities in Canada. And that would be from cradle to grave. So that's okay. kind of in a long sentence. So that's what it, that's what our goal is.
0: So how long have you been part of uh, Every Canadian Cancer, ECC? And what made you decide to even join something like this?
1: yeah. Um, so when I retired about six years ago from, from education in self-contained classroom, it was very clear that uh, people with disabilities and, uh, just were not getting what they needed. Um, it, um, there was just so many services lacking. Uh, we often wondered, you know, once students graduated and I taught in high school, what what their future would hold and uh they just it just looked bleak so when i retired i thought there's got to be more i can do and uh so i joined every canadian counts about four years ago and you know just kind of looking around and getting in touch with people and they said well have you heard of every canadian counts so that's when i found uh every canadian counts uh, headed up by bill cowie dr bill cowie and uh, and uh, so now I'm, I'm currently the vice chair for every, for every Canadian counts.
0: How long has the organization been around?
1: It's I think officially started in two um, 2015.
0: Okay, so for quite some time actually. Should... It is, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: What What really happened is that the Canada Accessibility or the Canada the uh, Accessibility Canada Act uh, took up a lot of the energy. Uh, the focus of things went there. And then there was now, of course, is the Canada Disability Benefit, which is uh, taking up all the oxygen. <laughs> and uh, so I think, you know, it's I know governments could do more than one thing at a time, but they, they tend to sort of focus in one area. So the Canada Disability Benefit is now well on its way uh, to being approved and uh, and hopefully uh, before the next election is implemented. And um uh, so I think the time is right. Um, Carla Quadro, the past the Minister of Disabilities, sort of said, okay, what's the next big thing? And I thought she was kind of looking at our organization to say the next big thing is this National Disability Insurance Plan. And it's, it's bigger than, than almost any plan that's out there currently. So how does your role
0: um, support Every Canadian Counts? And I'm interested to know who else is involved and sort of what experience is at the table uh, in terms of the organization itself.
1: Yeah, we have uh, six people. Six, I believe, on the uh, board of directors. Uh, we have three on the advisory committee, including um, Bruce Bonahady, who was the architect of the uh, the National Disability Insurance Scheme in Australia okay. back in 2010, and uh, Michael Kendrick, who's also world sort of world known for his uh, involvement with um, things like the National Disability Insurance Scheme, and. Um, and we're made up, of, and we have about six people on the on a steering committee, all volunteers as well. We meet on, a, you know, every every two weeks, and we kind of go over what we've what we've been doing on the last two weeks and what we're looking forward to in the next month or so. And uh, and it's made up of um, about evenly people with disabilities and people without disabilities. So I'm I'm active, um, probably the most active at the present time, along with with Bill Cowie. Um, we we do most of the you know the interviews and the um, the back the behind the scenes work and in front of the scenes work. So it is most of us uh, that are mostly Bill and I that are that are pushing forward. So
0: what kind of activities have you been up to until this point? I know you're you're doing a lot of speaking uh, and and just trying to get the message out there. Has it been just largely that the whole time? What other sorts of things have you, have you guys done?
1: Yeah, we've, we've ta- certainly talked to a lot of politicians and it doesn't seem to be a hard sell when we talk to politicians. Uh, they think it's a great idea. Um, in the last uh, uh, federal, the uh, Liberal Party convention, there was actually six electoral district associations who recommended uh, putting forth this plan, uh, at least doing the research into whether we should have it. And so our main focus now is to try to get the general public because I was asked by another politician about two weeks ago that said, "Well, how come I haven't heard about it?" <laughs> you know, so it really is to get uh, the constituency for for people that don't know about it to say that this is a possibility. So we need we need stories from people that um, that are perhaps in a bad way who who can see that that they need more. Right now, the services are just they're inconsistent, they're scattered all over the place, they're nightmarish to navigate. And, um, and the waiting lists are just getting longer and longer. Um, you know, I heard a statistic the other day that there's, you know, 40,000 people in Ontario alone on waiting lists to get into supported housing. Oh, wow. And, you know, but, you know, we're hoping that perhaps the funding model will change, which they're talking about changing to called Journey to Belonging, where the individuals will get the funding and then choose their agency which is basically how a national disability insurance plan or scheme works in Australia. The funding sort of first is identified as going to the person with a disability or their family. Well, things are changing, I believe in that area.
0: That's great to hear. So the insurance plan that you're proposing at Every Canadian Counts is uh, the plan for Canadians with disabilities, but based on an existing plan from Australia. So could you tell us a little bit more about how that works? How how do Australians qualify for the program, and and I'm curious yeah. to know if if the program, is there any differentiation between people born with disabilities or those who acquire them later in life?
1: Right. I'll try to get all those questions.
0: <laughs> I have them written down. The last, I can remind you. I'll start
1: with the last one. <laughs> you know, it's easy to remember that one. Um, so um, born with a disability or acquire them later in life makes no difference. Um, they're covered. It's And when you're talking about how do they qualify, it's based on what I would call a functional analysis, not necessarily uh, a diagnosis, but the person is assessed by, by experts that, that are in, in uh, whether they're doctors or, or um, accredited assessors that would assess somebody on what they need. So it gets rid of kind of jumping through the hoop or, you know, do they have this or do they have that It's based on what they need. And it's also non-means tested, which means that it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. If you have a child with a disability or you gain a disability during your life, you don't have to qualify. You don't have to prove how poor you are again. It, it's it's an entitlement that if you have that disability, you get that money. And uh, some might say, well, it should be kept for the poor, but um I don't think it's fair either to, just because somebody has a good job that those costs wouldn't be covered by what I would say the community, which is Canada. So it's one plan for all Canadians.
0: And those circumstances can certainly change for people. And not only that, but but the cost for certain types of disabilities can be quite heavy, quite high. So even if they have a good job, it still might be a struggle for them to manage, manage those additional costs. Yeah.
1: There's, there's people, you know, going to the food bank that have million-dollar houses and two cars in the driveway. So it doesn't always matter what your income is. <laughs> you're, if you're in a bad way, you're in a bad way, and that's without the disability. So,
0: And I know that you and I had spoken in the past, uh, and if I understand correctly, so correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I understand that Australia has done sort of a second iteration of the program because they discovered that there were some folks within the country that were um, missing. Um, in terms yeah. of getting that, uh, the, the, the disability benefit.
1: Yes, I've, um, I have yet to go through the whole plan. I've heard the highlights, um, but they just completed a major review because the costs were far higher now than what they were when they started um, for, for various reasons. Uh, the plan currently has about 600,000 people on the plan Three hundred and seventy-five thousand of those, which had never been on any kind of assistance before, so they managed to find people that are were, um, you know, uh, hard to reach, um, fallen through the cracks, and it also added a whole lot of, um, you know, the, the part of the reason that the the cost kind of ballooned, a whole lot more young people now with early intervention. Are getting on the plan instead of waiting until later on in life when to get diagnosed or to get what their needs might be. So there's a lot more young people, a lot of uh, yeah, just young kids that are on the plan that weren't on it before. They've also included now mental health, which was not on the plan I- initially. So you know the costs have gone. I think from what they had thought would be about ten million to fifty-two billion, or sorry, uh, ten billion okay to fifty to fifty-two billion dollars now. And part of the cost overruns where there was fraud. There was, uh, there was people now that they're looking at uh, have already uh, th- thrown off the plan be- and uh, because of illegal activities. There has been some larger corporations as well and probably small ones too have, who have just taken advantage of the system, have charged too much or um, it looked like they were just like a, a blank check. Uh, and there were still people who were not being served. So they found all those things out that um, during this recent uh, review where there was 222 recommendations for improvements. And with sort of a caveat that it doesn't mean we're going to reduce the cost of the plan because more people are gonna go on and we're gonna be more efficient. So they're not talking about, you know, cutting it by 10 billion, they're cutting, they're not necessarily cutting anything. It's just gonna be more efficient and and, uh, and more inclusive. Well, what we're sort of saying is that Canada can start exactly at the end we of that. We learn from their so, mistakes. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, well, um, yeah, that's a great way to go. And, and I'm glad that it doesn't rely on a diagnosis because with, with IWSCC, uh, we work with businesses that are disabled-owned as well as uh, veteran-owned. And um, we do require something of a paperwork flow to prove the uh, disability. And so we'll have many folks that have to go through the diagnosis um, journey. And it's not fast. Uh, I, folks will say, oh, I can have that done in a month. And I think, okay, well, I'd love to see that. And I hope that you do. But I don't, you know, in my experience, that's not going to yeah. be what happens. So so that's really great that 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 you don't have to go through that particular barrier. And if I understand correctly, it's not like some programs that we have in Canada where you have to reestablish your disability on an annual basis. is it that you, it's, it's just it's there yeah. and, and you just can count on the money. You don't have to
1: panic right. every year when your you know, renewal comes up. If you've got cerebral palsy or you've got multiple sclerosis, you've got those. And uh, if you've got Down syndrome, you have that. Uh, so the program and the plan for each person can be adjusted somewhat over time. But you know, keep in mind, this is for what, what we call a long-term chronic disabilities. So that's specifically what this is for. So many do have short-term disabilities, and even sometimes a long-term disability at work may run out after a certain period of time too, I suppose. So then they qualify for this plan. Um, and yeah. So
0: I'm interested in the funding of it, like how much – I mean, we talked a bit about what it costs for Australians. Are we thinking that that's roughly what it would cost for Canadians? I, I think our populations are are fairly similar. Um, is there a differentiation because of geography? Uh, and, and is it like another expense for Canadians? Does it somehow pay for itself? How does that all work?
1: Yeah. Um, getting right into the nitty-gritty yep. of money. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, the way it started, and and it's possible that the government is now topping it up because of the cost overruns. That's sort of what I'm I'm getting the idea that maybe it is being topped up. Initially, it was basically half of 1%. And I think that worked out to about $350 per wage earner that was taken off the paycheck. Just like Canada Pension Plan or employment insurance comes off your check. And it went into what they called a national disability insurance agency agency, like a fund that was set up separately, just like Canada pension plan is. So that if you needed it, you got it. And so the people themselves were were paying for this plan. And it would be nice maybe to, uh, and I don't actually have the numbers, whether that's still the way it is or whether the government is topping it up, but I think they are topping it up because the costs are quite high now. And maybe it's a bit too much for just straight taxpayer, but it was um, it was self-sufficient, so I'm not sure where it's at at that point now.
0: You said something to me when we were we were talking a couple of months ago, and it really hit home uh, with me. And I've actually shared that it with a, a quite a few other people, just looking for their reaction. And you said to me that no one should have to pay for their disability, and I thought that that was so profound and really had me really thinking about that. And and it's absolutely true. Uh, you know, people don't really get it that. Uh, first of all, there's a good chance we're all going to wind up with a disability at some point in our lives. And secondly, it's all just a stroke of luck, whether or not you're born with a disability. You know, it's it's not anything that you have done pre-birth to give yourself a disability. Um, so I, I do agree yeah. that, that uh, people should not have to pay for their own uh, disability. So can you talk a little bit about what kind of things the insurance program would cover? I mean, we talk about support, but what does that, some of that support actually look like?
1: Well, it it could be psychological support, could be professional like therapy, um, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, house modifications, vehicle modifications and purchases, uh, wheelchairs that aren't covered, uh, modifications to wheelchairs, uh, pretty much everything, you know, from almost, you know, uh, if you've got a long term and you need a a walker, it's not, uh, uh, you know, that big a cost. But it could easily be to three hundred thousand dollars a year that it would cost, which is already costing some people. Our, our the chair of every Canadian counts has multiple disabilities. Uh, he does talk to uh, th- through a trach. He's uh, a quadriplegic, and you know his costs alone are phenomenal because uh, he has twenty-four hour really? care and to survive. And um, you know, on on that note, we're talking about Jonathan Marchand. He He was in a pilot project to get out of long term care, and uh, because he uh, fenced himself in in front of the Quebec legislative grounds, and after about nine days, somebody from the from the party or the the government finally came. The provincial government came and talked to him and agreed to set him up in a pilot project for uh, on his own apartment. So he now was able to. uh, So you know, we're kind of talking about young people in long term care where they actually. Most don't belong. Um, I have, I do know some people actually who, who love it there. And uh, one young lady said to me, These are all like my grandma and grandpa, you know. <laughs> and so, but I, but I think the majority of, of people that uh, do not have developmental disabilities would prefer to have their own place where they can eat when they want to, they can go to the bathroom when they need to. And he's a good example of that. But, you know, the year is up and, uh, you know, he's still in his apartment, but he feels like he's on parole and that they can pull that plug anytime. And he does not want to go back to long-term care. And what he's doing now is trying to fight for other people in long-term care to be able to also get out and and live on their own. And and certainly research, what I've heard about, it's cheaper to actually have somebody in their own home than it is in long-term care.
0: Yeah, I would think so. It doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And give people that, that sense of agency to be able to, to live on their own and, yeah. and be as self-sufficient as possible. And now you spoke about yes. this a little yeah. bit uh, earlier, and I'm just curious if there's anything else that you can think of, any sort of lessons learned from the successes or, or failures of the Australian program that Canadians could benefit
1: from. Yeah, I think we have to be careful of um, a large private enterprise where they're getting shareholders and, uh, and big corporations are um, are knocking small agencies off to the side. Um, in, in the way, uh, Bruce Bonney had actually, after he did the research, seemed to apologize in a way that it it really pushed a lot of people out, smaller agencies. And, uh, you know, something recently I've heard is that if you're going to be able to compete in, a, in this type of a, a situation, you have to have about $30 million a year to be able to survive as an agency. So there's a lot more Uh, collaboration will happen between agencies and uh, partnerships formed but uh, the large shareholders similar to what I would say long-term care homes where profit is more important than care and those I think that's my biggest takeaway from what's been going on and I think they're going to try to push back a bit to to go to smaller um, smaller companies to and they could be private, but uh, just not where you're into large corporations where all they're worried about is making so money. So
0: when the person receives their their um, insurance benefit, is it then up to them to determine where they're going to for care? Or are there, are there people guiding them and steering them in a particular direction? I'm just curious to know how these larger conglomerates can, you know, sort of take over providing the large share of the care for people.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is, Possibly that they're the ones now that have the services, and um, um, but it is up to the individual, uh, either the person with a disability or their family, if they, we- they need the family. But they can still elect them to say, okay, here, I have this kind of money. I'm going to give it to this agency, and this is where I'm going to get my services. So they do have that option, and a lot of people are choosing that, so to, to, to choose an agency that works best for them and uh, and direct I their think,
0: money to them. I, I'm super excited that, that the inclusion of invisible disabilities is a factor for this uh, insurance because um, I'm always ranting on about how so many of us are suffering from trauma, past traumas, trauma gets handed down from generation to generation. And if we can start to deal with people as they're young, who are suffering from that trauma or as a result of trauma uh, and, and help them recover and, and learn ways to cope with the trauma that don't include inflicting trauma on, on their offspring or on other people around their lives. I just feel like, you know, life could be so much easier for so many people. And it sounds like this could be a method to be able to tackle that and allow people right from the beginning to to manage effectively what they're dealing with, including trauma.
1: Yeah. And, and trauma, um, you know, certainly even through poverty, and not being able to afford things for yourself, uh, situations where you know single single parents mostly would be single mothers with two or three kids, who cannot afford the food to give to the kids, as, you know, like a disabled person can't afford. And then the next thing you know, the uh, agency is there to pick up the kids uh, because there's not not enough there. Um, it's um, yeah, hopefully this will will help a lot of the people out. There's um, what they do in Australia as well as a parent and again mostly ladies, mostly women that would quit their job and and take care of the child with a disability. And that's it's changing somewhat. There are more men doing that too, but it certainly traditionally it was more women that would would leave their job. But now caregivers actually get paid. So the person, the, the mother or the father could, can get paid for the caregiving or they can hire somebody to come in and do the caregiving. And when they do that, they can go back to work. They can go back to school. They can become contributing members uh, as far as income tax goes. Uh, the person with the disability can be supported to go to work. And I think maybe that's where you know uh, agencies like yourself come in, where you can find work for people um, and with support. So uh, until they don't need it anymore, and I don't know how long that lasts, but. I, I'm sure that it would be at least a year that you could have support to train somebody at a job. So, so there again, you have more jobs created because there's caregiver jobs created. We're shortage of caregivers, I know, but um, you know, if it's, if it's um um perhaps you know pay uh, pay more uh, every 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 place right now seems like they're short of workers and i say bring on artificial intelligence so they can take some workload away <laughs> but um you know we can be more efficient i think in in the way that things are done and um so
0: well and also i think if 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 those caregivers aren't necessarily relegated largely to long-term care or those types of institutions where they're reliant on, uh, you know, lower wages and and uh, working short-staffed all the time, and I, uh, you know, have family in in long-term care working in long-term care, so I I know the pain. Um, so when there is more of these opportunities to work directly one-on-one in someone's home or something like that, uh, I think that that might give those workers a little. Um,
1: yeah, a happier I place
0: to work I think and so you may find that the that the long-term care situation I think is probably a lot of people are shying away from working in that and which is leading to a shortage in staff unfortunately this might be a, a different type but yeah. more welcome uh, for folks that yeah. are working in that area I, I'm gonna be a little bit of a devil's advocate here for a moment this is a question that that struck me again when we were first talking about this and I'm curious to know how does this program um how does it uh, consider individuals who have actually acquired their disability through what we might call some, something self-inflicted, for example, smoking, or perhaps drinking and driving and winding up with a disability? Does does the program differentiate in those it's, circumstances? It's, an, it's
1: a question uh, that I don't have a direct answer to, but I see no reason why it wouldn't be. If you, because of that, have a long-term okay. disability, I would say absolutely that in, in what I know of the program that that would be covered. But it's just.
0: And and so you think it's covered in Australia? I I do believe so.
1: I think it's all long term chronic disability. So if you acquire that one way or the other, uh, I do believe that's covered.
0: I mean, I don't think that people are necessarily heading out to drive drunk so they can acquire a disability to get Um, on government benefit. Like that seems like a long stretch for people. But uh, yeah, I just, I know that that will be a, a question that, you know, certain folks. In society yeah. would be interested uh, you know, i, I remember hearing answers. that
1: same question uh, for workers comp you know they've got a pension for life you yes know? Uh, yeah. but not too many people go and yeah. cut off their arm just so they can collect you know so i i don't really see that as <laughs> uh, as, as really being a a, a huge um contributor <laughs> yeah
0: let's yeah. hope yes so how, was, how is this program different from uh, the current disability benefit that's, that the government is working on? Will, will this fill gaps in that program?
1: The way, you know, the way I see it, and, and, and I think it's, it's true, is that people have to differentiate between poverty and disability. The Canada Disability Benefit is geared towards persons with disability in poverty, and only a few people are going to qualify for that. It does absolutely nothing for the disability. You know what I mean? It, it, okay. it really, um, yeah. they're still, if they need work on their wheelchair. So I kind of look at it kind of simplistically. So let's say they get an extra a few dollars in, in a month, enough for groceries to sort of get them to that poverty level where they can just barely maybe get by. Are they going to spend it on groceries or are they going to spend it on the wheelchair so they can get to the grocery store? You know, you need both, and yep. uh, and while we fully support the Canada Disability Benefit because it will help people in poverty with disabilities, but it will do nothing uh, technically for the actual disability. You know, it'll it'll fill their stomach, so it, it won't get worse. But for the but they should really be looked at as two separate things, and and that's a very small population, if you will, that's big enough, mind you. Um, of people that, aren't, that have poverty and a disability, but there's still hundreds of thousand people that it leaves out that need services.
0: I think also when you include invisible disabilities and disabilities related to mental health and poverty, a lot of those go hand in hand. I, I see that in my everyday life with, with folks who live in, in my neighborhood. So, and, and their problem is that they, they, they qualify for a benefit but as soon as they start to make some money, then they have to pay back some of that benefit. So it's almost geared to keep them at that level of, of never getting off of the benefit, and you know, poverty or, or in many cases, below poverty level is still yeah. trying to. Uh,
1: I look to at make it as it, you know what they so. call a spiral, but it's a downward spiral because you know uh, the yes. extra you know in Ontario they gave an extra five percent, which doesn't even keep up near to what inflation, and there had been no increases for at least three years. And uh, so, they're still negative uh, way behind. Um, uh, I just did a quick calculation the other day when somebody said, um, you know, 80% of their money goes to rent from the Ontario Disability Support Program. So, you do a quick calculation when you go to uh, qualify for a mortgage, you can only have about 30% of your cost should go towards a mortgage and 40% for family income. So when you think of, uh, when I did the calculations, actually, if you go on 30%, it would be a $1,200 a month rent property and you would need to make $48,000 a year to be able to meet those things so that you could actually have what I would call a normal life to be able to enjoy some things. Uh, Your disability should not mean you can't enjoy anything. No, and, mm-hmm. and and there's there's so many people that are that have disabilities that are on ODSP and they're just kept poor and and below all the poverty mm-hmm. line. There should be no reason for that. So just for twelve hundred dollars a month to qualify for a mortgage, you would need forty eight thousand dollars a year. Now we know in in Toronto, for instance, it's going to be twenty two hundred dollars. So uh, it's not nearly enough money. And so if if there was you know funding available for their disability. That they would receive for that, then that would certainly go a long way with uh, with supporting them.
0: I was going to say good luck finding a place for 1200 a month, uh, especially in the city, in any kind of cities, which of course, it's better off for a lot of folks, particularly with mobility uh, disabilities, to be in a city type location because of the extra supports like wheel and and just overall accessibility in, in smaller towns. It's you know accessibility isn't necessarily something that people take a look at as much and particularly in housing. Yeah. Um so yeah, so so you're you're trying to find rent and then you're also trying to find a, an actual accessible building that you can live in and, and those are few and far yes. between, especially if you're looking at, at that lower lower rental yeah. level. Um so what does every Canadian counts need to need? To accomplish its goals, what like what are your next steps?
1: Yeah, we we want uh, people with disabilities, and this was what really helped out in in Australia. We want people with disabilities to organize enough so that they will meet with their members of parliament to sort of demand something better. And you know, part of that problem is is you know people can't even afford to get out the front door of their apartment to go talk to the members of parliament. But most members of parliament actually are very approachable. And uh, I think if you're in their area, we want people to one or two or three or four to organize themselves, to meet with the member of parliament, to hear the stories directly from the people with disabilities. We want them to email them. We want to make sure that 23% possibly higher of the people in Canada have a disability. So, it's the largest minority, not just Canada, but the world. Why don't they have more? We're there. Know, when they have such a large voting block and they start to say, hey, now if we this 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 member of parliament is saying they're going to help us, let's vote for them. There just needs to be a larger, larger portion of the country uh, with people with disabilities. And just think about all the caregivers and their families who would support that. So they need to get into, you know, the nice, not a nice way, but they need to get into the faces of the members of parliament to say, we need a national disability insurance program that will cover my costs. Because like you said, what I had said earlier is, you know, the the family should be able to love their loved one. They shouldn't have to have that financial burden in addition to uh, it just doesn't make sense. That's up to that's up to the government, uh, the Canadian society to pay as a whole.
0: And I think about new parents who have a child that is born with some type of disability. On top of all of the things that may be going through their minds at that point, I'm sure also includes, "Oh my God, how are we going to afford this? You know, what, what do we need to be able to do, and how do we even, how do you know how to get your mind around that?" And if if they had the the knowledge that there was government support to help them afford uh, what they needed to in order to uh, you know take care of their child in a meaningful and, and positive way yeah. um, that's that's got to be I, really fantastic for you them. know
1: I, I was talking to somebody earlier today actually and they have a daughter and um, with a disability and they've been taking care of their daughter all these years on a waiting list 25 30 years. And their hope is that wow. their daughter will pass away before they do so that they know that their daughter will be looked after. And that's that's wrong. Yeah. Don't they worry about where their daughter is going to be. And unfortunately, right now, uh, the way it's set up, you have to be in crisis to be able to find a place. Uh, so that's like the, they don't do that much anymore about how people would drop their kids off at the hospital or, or respite or CPRI or something where they were just – say that I can't do it anymore and then all there is some something comes up but it's it's quite often not the best place either so there's got to be there's got to be a better way and if if disabilities the costs of disabilities are looked after then it it would be so much of a better society people would be healthier Uh, in Australia it actually ended it added two percent to the gross domestic domestic product of the country so it's good financially, it makes sense. It's a great place for, uh, you know, so many more people hired, both, you know, in the caregiver type roles or physiotherapists or the people with the disabilities, the disabled people can get jobs. And I use that term both, you know, person with disability, disabled person, because now mm-hmm. there's two fences on uh, what you should <laughs> name it. So I try to say both. So I'm not upsetting anybody but
0: yeah we do we do the same with IWSEC when people say should we say disabled or p- persons with disabilities and I say well, it really depends on what side of the fence you're on so yeah. you know we we do the same thing we, we try to use both yeah, yeah uh, I, a lot of people think that disabled is a bad word yeah.
1: um and and uh, you know within the community that is not the case no, no, you know and others uh, yeah so it's there's there is two sides still and uh, so I like to say in when I when I, when I have this opportunity or if I'm writing, something I would use both terms and I, and I do that and I say that on purpose so that uh, people know that I'm trying not to disrespect anybody. Yeah. so
0: next steps then for for every Canadian council or ECC is is getting that grassroots message out to everyone that you can to say this is here this is something that is being proposed please go speak to your local politician uh, in support of it particularly if you have a disability, but I'm assuming that there's room for people without disabilities to be able to go and, and have that conversation yeah. and show support for the idea oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. You
1: know, caregivers, supporters, you know, to, um, that's, that's the big one. And also the ones that we're, that we're going after now, we have uh, written a letter to the finance committee to be able to present to the, to the government's finance committee. And now we're also getting more organizations like yours to write a letter of support, so that we can show that we have—it's not just our idea; it's also association reports—and uh, so this is sort of my pitch to you, if you would uh, write us a nice letter of support. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. <laughs> I think we've already agreed to that. So yeah. yeah, we'll get we'll get the details. Yeah. So would it be helpful? You know, IWSCC works a lot with large uh, uh, government and and uh, private sector corporations um, by purchasing organizations would it be helpful to get the message out to them and, and you know, would uh, private organizations, banks, um, you know, telecommunications firms, all those types of organizations, it, it, would that be helpful to get them behind this as well? And what yeah. could they be doing as, as, as a big animal like, you know, one of those companies?
1: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, just, um, I, you know, a logo on our website, a letter of support so that it looks like we have, uh, and we have some tremendous supporters already that are on our website. Uh, we have quite a few letters from groups now that will be attached to have already been attached, but we're going to add to that letter uh, to the finance committee. And, uh, so the more that we, the, it's just awareness, you know, like what we're doing today, uh, you know, the more we do of that, um, I'm quite active, you know, personally on, on, on Twitter and, uh, and the old Twitter and uh,
0: yeah, it's hard to know what it's called anymore.
1: <laughs> on the new threads. And we have our, yeah, our Facebook and, uh, uh, but you know, there's, there's, there's only a few of us. So the more that we can spread the word, the better. And yeah.
0: And so can people contribute financially yeah. to ECC? Is yeah. that, that's beneficial as well?
1: It is because, um, um, you know, we, for instance, we went to a conference, uh, uh, in Washington the International uh, developmental disability and uh, mental health uh, associations and they have a thing around the world so it was in Washington last year so we went we went there so if those and just to promote what we're doing you know uh, it costs money I went to to Windsor to the building trades thing uh, last week and um, you know paid for it myself paid for uh, the the lodgings for three days um, so I mean, it'd be good to be, you know, from that point of view, to to uh, to have more. Um, and I don't do it begrudgingly. I think it, it would be nice to have it covered. But we could do so much more with media. We could do so much more um, going across the country. And um, it's what they did. But also the, the government can do that, you see. So we need... It's sort of a, cotton hard, a rock and hard place right now. We, we want the government to say we're going to, and our ask really is about $6 million for the government to put aside $6 million to find out whether it's feasible, viable, and reliable to, to do a national disability insurance plan. So that's the the, the the proof So so that they can find out whether we want it, whether we need it. Okay. I've actually engaged with four students at the University of Western Ontario who are doing uh, research into exactly that right now? Oh, great! So that if we can say, look, you know, we've done the research, take get, take it to the government and say, here we've we've got this done for you already, or at least we've got some initial research done. So um, yeah, we're working working on that. Um, yeah, so we'll the more keep-
0: people and uh, and large organizations that can write those letters and make sure that their mm-hmm. local member of the parliament. Uh, Is aware that they are behind it, and so it's it's getting all of those voices gathered into one big voice to make the government really listen and uh, and stand up and say, okay, we're we're ready to sit at the table.
1: In Australia, they kind of it was actually Bill Shorten who is now uh, also uh, was. Uh, part of this big review, but he was in there from the beginning. And he was the minister that was sort of putting it responsible to finding out exactly the feasibility, viability, reliability. And he went across the country as a politician and, and, and other groups uh, helping. And then when they were done that, they said, we absolutely need it. So when they were done the study and they did the education, because people don't know about it. So once people find out about it, It was actually, I believe, close to eighty-five percent of the population of Australia voted for it in a referendum. Wow! And when they came to Parliament, all the parties voted for it. Okay. So we need to get to that point where where everybody knows about it and sees it as a good idea, because everybody can relate to it. That's why we call it "Every Canadian Counts." You don't have to have just a disability. You could be the caregiver. You can be the friend. It could be for your grandkids. It could be for your kids. So disability affects everybody. And, and I think that's why in Australia, they have what they call every Australian counts. So we are trying to follow that model a fair bit uh, and just make it better than what they have.
0: And so if you're looking at uh, what you had suggested might be somewhere in the area about $350 a year per worker um, to help support uh, this essential insurance, I guess, for our folks with disabilities, you know, for those of us who are really, really willing to take a look at what might be in our future, you could almost look at that as as a bit of a pension plan, because if you're yeah. going to wind up with a disability, you'll have some coverage. And I know that so many um, folks that are, say, you know, in my mom's friend group who who are you know, getting a little bit older and also concerned that something will happen, that will have them wind up being in that area where they'll require some additional care, long-term care, whatever that looks like. Um, you know that might be something that might help them feel a little bit better about approaching that point in their life if they know that there is some financial support available to them from the government.
1: Yeah, there there is that one catch. <laughs> yeah, when you said maybe what's missing in the plan is that if you are on the plan as as born and you continue on the plan, then it's covered. But if you have a disability after you hit 65 in Australia, then it's not covered. Okay. So, and they have done other things, I think, to improve uh, the situation for seniors, but because, and I think the same here. Once you get to the senior age, they have other things in place. Okay. So, I think that's a place to argue uh, for uh, for senior benefits and uh, and those types of things that you need more of at that point. But you're you you're generally speaking, um, because otherwise it gets to be a plan that totally replaces all medical plans. Yeah. So they sort of looked at it has to be sort of a a start uh, and and include long term care or sorry uh, all long term disabilities um, from from cradle to grave as long as you're on that plan going into that. Oh, okay. team, yeah. So it's still good. I mean, still you, you could you know it still still carries on with whatever disability you had after sixty five, right? But um, that's the way it works there.
0: Okay, and, and and that's what's going to be ideally mirrored here in Canada. That setup.
1: Yeah, and if and if seniors need more, then look at um, the existing things that are in place to improve those for seniors. Right. Yes, we all know
0: that yeah. that that can definitely be looked at for sure. Yeah. Um. I know that you had mentioned uh, when we were getting ready for this podcast that you had a bit of a PSA or something that you wanted to share with uh, with our listeners. So now is the time for that, if you'd like to go ahead.
1: Okay. Yeah, this was, um, and I don't mind mentioning Cam Wells with his C-Jam radio show. He wanted to put a public service announcement across Canada. So he said, but you can't go over a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so- <laughs> So I'll, uh, I'll do the public service announcement, Okay, and uh, which I think, you know, some people said, well, you know, how long do you need? So give me about 30 seconds and I can explain it in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Uh, so 3 million Canadians have either severe or very severe disabilities in the, and is the largest minority group in the country and have been made the most vulnerable by ignorance, neglect, and government policies. The current support systems are massively inefficient due to fragmentation, underfunding, they're inadequate to task, have long waiting lists, are inconsistent in application of benefits, inflexible in delivery, and are nightmarish to navigate for every province and territory. The support systems also suffer from a lack of standards and inadequate data. That's a lot of words to simply say. Disability support and lack thereof is really, really messed up in Canada. What's critically needed is a publicly funded national disability insurance support plan so that all persons with severe and chronic disabilities can finally receive the support they need to just, and they justly deserve at Every Canadian Counts. We have a proven plan on how to achieve this goal. And our website is everycanadiancounts.com. And you can email info at everycanadiancounts.com.
0: Excellent. Thank you for that. And thank you for being here. I, I'm really pleased to have you here. I think it's a fantastic idea, uh, you know, especially working in the area of disability so much in my life. That uh, I, you know, I think this is, is well needed. I'm glad that Australia kind of jumped in and with both feet and and gave it a try. So we have something that we can be working from, and and really really happy to have you here and, and sharing your insights and your knowledge with us. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, and um, yeah. Um, the one thing I think I forgot to mention is on Australia also, they have something called disability tea. And we call it, you know, have, have tea with your MP. Okay. And uh, so I think that's a good little sort of a catchphrase that, that I'm hoping people will, will pick up on and uh, invite your member of parliament to, to have tea.
0: So they can find out, people can find out everything they need to know on your website, com, And you said to email was info at com.
1: Yeah, okay. and we do actually have a, a support button now. You can support, you can donate, Good. but you can also add your name. There's a place where you can uh, add your name, uh, your name to our our goal of a, of a national. So it just says uh, we support a national disability insurance plan. Fantastic. So people can have their name there, and that would really be beneficial. It's not, let's say, an official petition for the government, but it's just a sort of game that that we can say. You know, we want to get up to about 5,000. I think we're about 400 right okay. now. We started at about three weeks okay. ago. And so people can add their name and uh, it'll just help uh, to show that we have support for this across the country.
0: Okay, that sounds great. I'm I'm heading over right after this to to add my name to the list. Good. All right, <laughs> thank you again, Hubert. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us.
1: Thank you, Deidre. It's been a pleasure.
0: And thank you all for being here uh, and listening to this important information about Every Canadian Counts. Uh, for more information about IWSCC and Supplier Diversity, Support for Disabled, as well as Veteran-owned businesses, uh, you can visit us on our website at IWSC, sorry, www.iwscc.ca. Uh, you can find us on YouTube for these podcasts, or listen in on your favorite podcast platform. Once again, we'd like to thank Maple Communications for supplying our ASL services. And RBC for sponsoring all those costs for our, our 2023's ASL services and Pod Supply, of course, for producing our fantastic podcast. We'll see you again. Have a great day.